0: Welcome to church. We are so, so very glad that you are here. We're talking all about the spiritual rhythm of rest. So I brought a chair up on stage as a visual reminder of why we need this discipline in our life. I don't have to be the very first one to tell you this, that the world we live in is crazy fast-paced. So, so very fast. And I feel like it gets faster every day. And more things get in our schedule all the time. It is so, so very fast. We like to eat fast. We have people all around us. We love to drive fast. Everybody does. Well, most of the people on Smith Valley drive really fast. Not all of them, but most. And, and in my lifetime, and probably a lot of your lifetimes as well, we've seen the Internet just get crazy fast where we used to have to like plan out our afternoon to, for, to dial up and get on a modem and wait, make sure nobody was calling. It is so, so fast. And the reality is with all of that speed that is all around us, it has changed us in so many different ways. And I, if you think it hasn't changed you or it doesn't continue to change you to where you really need to practice the rhythm and the spiritual discipline of rest, let me ask you a couple questions. When's the last time you have been on a slow network? How well did you handle it? Were you like, oh, now I have more time to do other things while my internet is loading? When's the last time you've been behind somebody that's driven under the speed limit? Are you like, oh, thank you. Now I can appreciate my commute a little bit better. Look at all this beauty around me. Or, what about your family when you go out for a meal? You ever been to a restaurant and you, it takes longer than it normally does? Do you count those extra moments with your family as like, ah, oh, what a blessing? I get to hang out with my family for a little extra time. Thank you for taking so much time with my food. It's not, it changed us. It's, be, it's become crazy all around us. And speed is just one, the speed of life around us is just one of the things. There are so many other things. As I look out over this room, and I know we have so many people joining us online. Thank you for joining us. Everyone, if you're hearing my voice right now, I bet you're exhausted on some level. We are an exhausted people. We're tired. We're just worn out. I'm sure right now in this room, there are some exhausted mamas, trying to do all the things, the schedules, the the cooking, the cleaning, the the meals, the meal prep for their kids, for school, the outfits, everything, just exhausted. There's some dads that are trying to do everything, and you just can't. And I know there are some people that are hearing my voice right now. There are some single parents that are just exhausted. You know, i raising our kids for my wife and I was like, exhausting enough i can't imagine what it's like to do that by yourself or mostly by yourself just exhausted friendships all around us we are a very tired people and we live in an exhausting exhausting world and it's not just emo or it's not just physically exhausting we have spiritual and mental exhaustion so so much so here's the deal to everybody here, and it is an incredibly great crowd for middle spring break weekend here Saturday night, and all of those join online. This is for every single one of us. This message tonight is for all of us. There is no one off the hook. There is no one exempt. This is for you, and this is for me in its entirety. And so when we're talking about, when we're talking about spiritual, the spiritual discipline of rest, this is for us. We're going to start. I want to start tonight not just by the fact that I have a nice comfy chair up here. And don't worry, I'm not going to sit in this the whole time. Although it's kind of nice to do that, but not going to do that. I want to start in a way that uh, is a little bit uncomfortable. Or at least it's uncomfortable for me. I just want to start with a few minutes of silence or a few moments of silence and a few moments of rest. And I don't mean silent prayer. I don't want you to redirect your thoughts. I just want us as a church... But take a few minutes just to breathe just relax just for a moment and it's uncomfortable for me because I love to talk but it's also a little bit awkward to just have silence but will you do that with me just as we begin just let's take a few moments and just breathe and let us as a people rest as we prepare to hear from God's word about what he says about rest Father God, open our hearts, open our minds, help us to understand your word as it relates to rest and the rhythm you have for our life. We thank you. We love you, and it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. You know, a few weeks ago, we had a women's conference here, and during one of those sessions, our rock star elementary leader, you just saw her, Amanda Snow led a session called Messy, Exhausted Faith for Women Unfortunately, I didn't have all the credentials. I wasn't able to attend and be a part of this because it really wasn't for me. But I did get to hear a little bit of it. I grabbed her notes. I read it through it. My wife attended her session, said it was great as I knew it would. And a lot of the things that she spoke in that seminar on messy, exhaustive faith actually apply to us. And so I'm not going to take full credit for this statement. I'm going to pull this statement out that she quoted in her session. I really feel like it sets the table for us This is a quote from Mike Iaconelli. He says, the ugly truth is we don't know how to rest. Actually, we refuse to do it. Rest is a decision we make. Rest is choosing to do nothing when we have too much to do. Slowing down where we feel pressure to go faster. Stopping instead of starting. I love this line, probably the best. Rest is listening to our weariness and responding to our tiredness not what is making us tired. No rest is the ultimate humiliation because in order to rest, we must admit that we are unnecessary and that the world can get along without us and that God's work does not depend on us. Once we understand how unnecessary we are, only then might we find the right reasons to say yes and only then might we then decide to be with Jesus instead of working for Jesus. So if you've been following along or been with us for the last few weeks, we're at week five of our series on spiritual rhythms and disciplines in our life and spiritual disciplines. Um, We've talked about submission, confession, meditation, and fasting. And as I really started to look at that, I focus on that one word, which I cannot spell for the life of me. I feel like I misspell every time and it autocorrects the word rhythms, And that word by itself, rhythm, and I looked at the definition of that, and we're going to use this throughout our time together. Here's the definition of rhythm, a strong, repeated pattern of movement, a strong, repeated and pattern. Those three words describe what a rhythm is, strong, repeated, and a pattern. Too often when it comes to spiritual disciplines, they are not rhythms at all. They're ideas, they are best practices, they are tips, and they are inserted into our own rhythm, and they never become our own rhythm. They're great ideas, we like it, and we love to talk about those things, but they never actually become rhythms in our life. Creating a strong, repeated pattern of movement is important in so many areas of our life. One that comes to mind for me is, One my wife and I established a a little over 20 years ago when we first had kids. We established a rhythm in our life that one day each week we're going to spend a day together. And so over that period of time, over 20 years, we've tried to do that. And we've tried to make that a priority in our marriage and a priority in our life. And it's become a repeated strong pattern Of movement. It's become a rhythm in our life. In fact, when she got her first full-time job after not having one for a long time, she said, that is one of the requirements. I'll have to have this day off because it's that important to us. What kind of disciplines in our life do we treat that way where we look at healthy, repeated pattern of movement? That's what the goal is when we're talking about spiritual disciplines is to create patterns like that in our life that reflect that year after year day after day, month after month. When we talk about the discipline of rest, it's one of those we're actually choosing not to do anything. And the reality is that's sometimes a lot harder than choosing to do something. It's very difficult to do. And we're gonna talk about that and looking at it through God's word Tonight, just as in the other spiritual disciplines, there's not one text that we're going to uh, look at and focus on for the entire night. But as we begin, I feel like there's three verses in the Book of Matthew that are foundational to rest. So, if you're willing and able, I'm going to invite you to stand like we do each week. There's a passage after this that's longer. I'm giving you guys a break. We're going to only we're doing the three verse one to stand together to really keep on rest. Jesus says this, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. And when I when I first learned that, there was the word heavy was in there. And I always remember that. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy burdened. Take my yoke, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. What a great, great passage. There it is. You can have a seat. We always ask God to bless the reading and hearing of his word. This text was written in response to individuals who were experiencing spiritual exhaustion. They were getting caught up in the minutia of the law, but just looking at those verses in Jesus, I can relate to that physically. I can relate to that emotionally as well as spiritually. We can find rest in him. A little later in the book of Hebrews, we find a passage that really starts to unpack what God's word says about rest. Chapter four, and you can read the whole section, verses one through 13, but for our time tonight, I just wanna read a few passages and then we're gonna pull a few things out of there. I wanna read verses one through four and then verses nine and 10. It says, therefore, since the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. For we also have had good news proclaimed to us just as they did. But the message they heard was of no value to them because they did not share the faith of those who obeyed. Now we who have believed enter that rest just as God said, so I declared on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. And yet his works have been finished since the creation of the world. For somewhere he has spoken about the seventh day in these words, on the seventh day, God rested from his works. We jump ahead to verse nine. There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from their works just as he did. Now, in that passage, the writer of Hebrew uses the word rest, and I'm gonna gonna do my best to pronounce this in Greek. It's been about 25 years. If you're a scholar, don't shout it out if I pronounce it wrong, but here it is. The word is... Katapausis, katapausis. It's used in this passage three different ways. And I know what you're thinking. I said the word three. This has to be the sermon outline. But you would be wrong. It is not. We were not quite there yet. The sermon outline we'll get to in just a minute. And it's the most simple outline. You could ever imagine, but we'll get to that in a moment. I just want to share the three ways the writer of Hebrew uses that word to describe rest, the word katapausis. The first way is simply as the peace of God. He refers to the rest as the peace of God. The second way, which when we will we, we'll talk about here is the promised land, and it's in reference to the Israelites' Way back in the Old Testament, when they failed to enter the Promised Land, when they failed to enter the Promised Land, back in uh, Numbers chapter fourteen, they sent out the spies and they brought back their report. And because of that report and the way that they reacted to that report, they were not allowed to enter the Promised Land. So what the writer Hebrews saying here is, there in the Promised Land was for them rest but they weren't able to achieve it because they didn't believe God or they didn't have their faith in God or they didn't believe he could do what he said he, he could do. And therefore, they never enjoyed the katapausis, the rest that they could have. And the third way that the writer of Hebrew uses that is quite simply the rest of God on the day seven of creation. After six days of creation, God katapausis, he rested and when all God's work was complete and done, he rested. In the creation story, if you go back to the book of Genesis and you read through, there's an interesting fact if you read through each of the days. On days one through six, it says, and there was evening and there was morning on each of the days. But if you get to day seven and when you get to day seven, there is no mention of evening at all. Therefore, teachers and rabbis uh, translated that to say the day of rest, God's day of rest never ends. It's eternal. There is no evening. His rest remains eternal. So as we really get into the text and we get into God's word and we get into this about the spiritual rhythm, that strong repeated pattern of movement, our outline is two words. That's it. You can either memorize it, write it down, whatever. You could get a scrap of paper. There are two words on our outline for a message today. The first word is the word Sabbath. Now, Sabbath. For me, I grew up in church. I heard that word a lot, and I associated that word for what we're doing right now. We're at Sabbath, or the Sabbath is the day that we do church. I associated with that. But the reality is, Sabbath is so much more than that. Biblical Sabbath is a 24-hour block of time, and the fact that it happens every single week means it stands in stark contrast to the world around us. The world and secular culture has a rhythm, whether we like to admit it or not, and it's a very unhealthy rhythm. See if you can follow along with me on this one. The rhythm of secular culture when it comes to this is like this, work, 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 Then you get to the weekend, which is a whole lot more work you just don't get paid for, a lot of activities, a lot of stuff. And then you get to Sunday night, and what happens on Monday? Work, 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 work. And then you get to another weekend, things that aren't, things to do, chores, all the other things, on and on and on. And then you get to go on vacation. And you're like, oh, it feels so good to just relax. And then you have to go back into the routine again. Have you ever got back from a vacation and you feel like you need a vacation from your vacation? That is the rhythm of secular culture, the world around us. It's a very, very unhealthy pattern. God's rhythm looks like this work, rest. Work, rest. Work, rest. Work, rest. That's what it means to practice Sabbath, is to be in a healthy pattern in a healthy rhythm. Every day has a rhythm. It has a sunrise and a sunset. It has morning and evening. and you go even further out into months, it has cycles and seasons. God's pattern and rhythm works hand in hand. That's why He created Sabbath. I love the way that author Wayne Mueller puts it when it comes to Sabbath says to remember Sabbath is not a burdensome requirement, but rather a remembrance of the law that is firmly embedded in the fabric of nature. It is a reminder of how things really are, that rhythmic dance to which we unavoidably belong. The problem is that we allow everything else to trespass on that balance, disrupting the work and rest that God created for our good. And there are so many other things that break that rhythm. And it might not be work. It might be schedules. It might be lots of things that lead us to be exhausted. You know, one of the newer things that I feel like contribute is technology. I mean, you look around us today, it's into everything we do. A few years back, probably seven, eight years ago, we went on a family vacation, went on a cruise. And at that time when we went on a cruise, I don't know if it's still like that today, the internet was not free. You had to buy it. You had to buy that to be on a network or anything like that. If you know much about me, I'm not paying for any of that business. I'm pretty frugal. And so for almost seven days, my phone was only a camera. Not even for one moment did I connect to the internet or network. No text, no email, nothing. It was one of my favorite memories of that vacation to just be able to disconnect. A few weeks ago, I went to the dentist's office and I had some work done. And if you've ever been in that situation, you know it can be a lengthy period of time when you have some work done because the dentist comes over and it's only in spurts and they'll work on you for a little bit and then they'll go over with other customers. And I knew it was going to be a long time. And this was even before I had realized that I was going to be preaching this message. I said in my mind, I'm going to use this time simply to rest and disconnect. Yes, there's nothing more relaxing than having work done. But for me, I was able to just disconnect. And I sat in the chair, and when the dentist was away, the hygienist was like, do you want to sit up? And I'm like, no, I'm resting. Had my sunglasses on. And I am not kidding you. Every single time she walked away, my arm went like this. And I reached over, and I'm like, nope. Every time. I didn't learn the first seven or eight times. Leave my phone alone alone. It was there. That's why I was programmed, and I just stopped. So, for three hours, no texts were sent, no emails. I didn't get the Wordle that day. So, all of that, I just chose in that moment to rest. So, that brings us really to the question about Sabbath what is Sabbath? And really, what is it? Author Peter Schizzero outlines it in these four things, and I really love the way these are written. The first one is to stop. I mean, just stop. Stop all work, both paid and unpaid. Stop social media. Stop paying bills. I can get behind that. Stop laundry. I can really get behind that one. Stop errands, grocery shopping. Stop cleaning the house. Just stop. Let go of the illusion that we are indispensable for running the world. The second word is to rest. Accept God's invitation to rest. Engage in things that restore and replenish your soul. For, for some of us, it might be taking a nap. For me, I have a weekly rhythm. I don't know how it happened, but on Sunday afternoon, I just take a nap for about an hour. Sometimes it's a lot longer, and I just take a break and I take a nap. I'll come home from church after church on a Sunday, and I'll ask my wife. I was like, well, why isn't the bed made? She's like, you know, you're going to get in the bed. I'm like, no, I'm not. And then I fall asleep right away. It's a rhythm. It restores me, builds me up. For you, it might be hiking, reading, playing sports, enjoying hobbies, or even eating good food. That's another one I can get behind. The third word he says is to delight. In the book of Genesis, after finishing his work, God pronounced that it was very good. God wasn't exhausted from creating, and oh, I'm so exhausted, I just need a break. He delighted, and he said, look, it's very, very good. All of creation is done. It's a celebration of accomplishment. Find things that give you delight. And the fourth word is to contemplate. Ponder the love of God. Pondering the love of God is a central component to practicing Sabbath. We are not taking, away t- taking time away from God but we're actually drawing closer to him in a healthy, strong, repeated pattern. There's another speaker and author, and her name is Marva Dawn. She is an absolute delight. I would challenge you, if you need something to look at online, look her up on YouTube, watch, watch some of her videos, some of her uh, lessons and sermons and, and little sermonettes. She resonates, you can see in her face, she lives a Sabbath life. She lives a life in that rhythm of work, rest, work, rest, work, rest, amazing. She outlines it a little bit differently, but I wanna point out the way she did. She says to cease, not just physically, but emotionally, just cease. And then you need to rest, you need to rest emotionally. Do an emotional rest. And her third one really resonated with me. Feasting, celebrate, have special events, eat special foods. In one of her talks, she talks about her and her husband have a special oatmeal they take on Sabbath. The other six days, it's the boring oats, but on Sabbath, it's something special. And another thing she says is every Sabbath, she always wears the color pink because pink represents joy and it is a joy to be a part of it. And her fourth one is to embrace or embracing God's will. Uh, about a year and a half ago, our Next Generation team. And when I say Next Generation team, that's our children's and students and young adults team. We read and studied a book together, The Emotionally Healthy Leader. And this was from Peter Scazzaro, the one that had the book there. look, that's a picture of the book on my desk. And we read through it and there's an entire section or chapter that he outlines what it looks like to practice Sabbath delight. It is a great book. It is geared for leaders, but as I read that, I didn't read that through the eyes of a leader. I read that through the eyes of an individual because I feel like so many of the things he said were, were speaking to every single one of us. I want to point out just some of the things he wrote about practicing a Sabbath delight and things that get in the way of doing so. There are leaders or people that simply won't slow down. They'll nod their heads and they'll agree they need to, but they never do. The reason they can't stop is that they're terrified about what they're going to see inside them. We start to throw out words like solitude, Sabbath, silent reflection. It will obliterate their entire sense of self because their sense of self, and so many times I feel like my sense of self is wrapped up in what we do. Culture wraps up its value in what we do. And if you don't think so, here's a challenge for any of us. Go into any social setting. Go into a room where you don't know anybody. See what the number one question everybody asks. What do you do? That's where worth is is found. Finding rest, slowing down, practicing a Sabbath is countercultural to what we see today. And the reality is because of what we're going to find inside of us. And I feel like at some level, this is inside of each and every one of us for different reasons. The thing that's found inside us is shame. Shame being defective, fundamentally flawed, some deficiency, even as a human created in the image of God. It's important, though, that we understand the difference between shame and guilt. Guilt is for something we do. Say I go to the roundabout, I don't merge properly Well, I do, but maybe you don't. Maybe someone else doesn't. That's guilt. That's something we do. It's a mistake that I make. Shame, on the other hand, is it wasn't a mistake I made in the roundabout. I am the mistake. We can't slow down because shame is at the very core of why we can't. And here's why it's at the core Imagine the stories in your life, your realities. Your history, your story, have you ever been told that when you rest, you're being lazy? You shouldn't rest. There's things to do. You need to do those things. When we overwork our lives and over busy our lives and over, over schedule our lives, we hide that sense of worthlessness. And not just from others, but from ourselves. If we're so busy, we can never. We can never hear things like, I'm never safe enough, perfect enough, never good enough. And we definitely could never hear, I'm never successful enough. Our view is wrapped up, the the culture's view of reality is wrapped up in what people do. You know, on social media, I never, I wouldn't say never, but I would say most of the times, I don't see people post things on social media like, man, it's Thursday, I didn't do anything. I just rested. I mean, I I took a nap. I didn't do things. I had a lot of things to do, but I didn't do them. I chose to rest. It's usually I do, I do, I do, I do, I do, I do. The only time we really post those things are when? Vacation. When we feel like we have permission not to do anything. And I know there are a lot of other things that kind of get in the way. One of the, Another roadblock in reality for practicing any type of Sabbath is the fact that we look at it as an outdated practice or it's some, some sense of legalism. This was established in the book of Deuteronomy and Numbers. Not everything about that applies to my life today. And then we jump into the danger of if, if not everything does, then we don't apply any of that part to our life. In the book of Mark chapter 2, we read these words, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. The Sabbath is for us. It was created for us. It is for us, for God's rhythm. When we practice Sabbath, consider the rationale God uses for even creating the Sabbath. In the book of Deuteronomy chapter five, verses 12 and verse 15, we read this. Observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Remember That you were slaves in Egypt and that the Lord your God brought you out with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Here's what God's saying to the Israelites when he establishes the Sabbath. Remember when you were slaves in Egypt for over 400 years. You worked seven days a week, 365 days a year all the time. Your parents, your grandparents, everyone you possibly could ever remember existed for one reason. Work, you never stopped, you never rested, you never delighted. What God is saying is no longer are you defined by what you do, you're defined by who you are. Sabbath was created for us. The second word on our outline is the word solitude. In its simplest form, solitude means to be alone. For some people, this was their jam and does not require a lot. For them to do, you're like, oh, be by myself? I can do that. For me, it's a challenge. It's a struggle. For starters, I love to be around people. I love to talk. Be, being an extrovert and practicing solitude is very difficult to do, but it's necessary. I may have told you this story before, or maybe even brought it up on stage. In my office, right behind me, I have a ledge of different things throughout my years of ministry. I have a little rock, it's like this big, it's flat. And every time I walk into my office, I see it. I got that rock a long time ago. We had a day of solitude for our staff. And I don't remember exactly where we were. I just remember I went out on this day of solitude and I went walking. And I kept walking and walking until I didn't see anybody, until I didn't hear anybody. And I just walked some more and more. And before I knew it, I found myself in the middle of a creek, completely alone. And in that moment, I was able to hear from God in a way I never would have been able to hear from God in my normal, regular rhythm. And I never wanted to forget that moment. And I never wanted to forget the importance of being alone with God. And so right there, I picked up that rock, and I carried it back with me. And everybody on the bus asked me, why do you have a rock? And I was like, that's a long story. I'll tell you about it later. But solitude, being alone, being alone with God, very, very important I want to look at a few scriptures of when Jesus chose to practice solitude and why he chose to practice them. And I know there's more, but here are some, very, here are some ones we're going to look at together. The first one, Jesus chose solitude to prepare for something big. In the book of Luke, we read this as he begins his ministry. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them he was hungry. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and the news about him spread throughout the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues, and everybody praised him. So as Jesus began his ministry, he chose Solitude. Jesus chose solitude simply to recharge. The book of Mark, we read these words. The apostles gathered around Jesus and reported him all they had done and taught. Then, because so many of them were coming and going, they did not even have a chance to eat. He said to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. And Jesus chose solitude when he was dealing with grief. When he lost his cousin, John. In the book of Matthew, it says this. John's disciples came and took his body and buried it. Then they went and told Jesus. When Jesus heard what had happened, he withdrew by a boat privately to a solitary place. Hearing hearing of this, the crowds followed him on foot from town to town. Jesus chose solitude before making a hard decision. When he chose his apostles, Luke chapter 6 one of those days, Jesus went out on a, mount- on a mountainside to pray, and he spent the night praying to God. When morning came, he called his disciples to him, and he chose 12 of them who he designated as apostles. Jesus chose solitude in times of distress, right before his arrest in the book of Luke chapter 22. Jesus went out as usual to the Mount of Olives and his disciples followed him. On reaching the place, he said to them, pray that you will not fall into temptation. He withdrew about a stone's throw away beyond them and knelt down and prayed. Father, if you're willing, take this cup from me, yet not for my will, but yours be done. An angel of heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. And being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. And of course, the sixth one's simply to pray. He went away in solitude to pray. In Luke, we read, but Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. And in the book of Mark, we read this, chapter one. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Solitude and Sabbath. Two rhythms that we can practice as strong repeated patterns of movement as we kind of wind down here we need to be reminded of what a spiritual discipline is that we've looked at all throughout the five previ- four previous messages they are something that are both personal and corporate spiritual disciplines are activities not attitudes spiritual disciplines are modeled in the bible they are encouraged in the bible and they are a means not an end Creating and maintaining a rhythm of rest is not an easy ask to anyone, especially modeling Sabbath and solitude. When you're a parent and you have toddlers and preschoolers, that solitude one sounds great. I know, I get it. I've been there, I've lived those years. But it's also important to know and remember why we practice these rhythms and why we practice these disciplines. They are to grow in our faith and grow closer to God. One of the coolest things I think about them, and I look at all of the different spiritual disciplines we've looked at and talked about, the reality is they're designed, those rhythms are to draw us closer to him so that we can grow in our relationship with Jesus and our heavenly father. But the coolest, I think one of the cool things is there are other side benefits to those as well. There's, we grow in our emotional health, we grow in our physical health, when we practice these rhythms and i really like to think god knows what he's doing when he puts those in place one of the things that our staff practiced and i told you about earlier was at least before the pandemic is we practiced a day of solitude where each year we would take one day our whole staff would go out and we would just get away and just be alone no agenda just a day of solitude for a couple of these, we traveled down to Martinsville to the Shepherd's Gate Inn. Here's a picture of the Shepherd's Gate Inn. This is a place in a location that is well suited to Sabbath, to solitude, and to rest. There's over 43 acres, the giant house and giant building, 1,100 square feet, amazing food, great, all the things. It checks all of the boxes as it comes to Sabbath and rest and solitude. They're one of our local mission partners. And here's the thing. I know they would love to talk to you. They would love to tell you more about their ministry and how they can partner with you to help you on this journey when it comes to rest, when it comes to finding solitude, when it comes to the Sabbath. They'd love to do that. So check them out. Check out their website. Check out their phone call. Or right after service, you can just talk to them. They're right down front either way. They would love to share that with you. As we close tonight, I wanna close with a passage out of the book of Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 58. It says, if you keep your feet from breaking the Sabbath and from doing as you please on my holy day, if you call the Sabbath a delight and the Lord's holy day honorable, and if you honor it, By not going your own way and doing as you please or speaking idle words, then you will find your joy in the Lord. And I will cause you to ride on the heights of the land and to feast on the inheritance of your father Jacob. The mouth of the Lord has spoken. That word rhythm, repeated strong pattern of movement, solitude and Sabbath. God's plan, God's rhythm for rest in our lives. Will you pray with me? Father God, we thank you for the opportunity to open your word. We thank you for the opportunity to look at what it is to rest and the spiritual health that we can have and the growth that we can have in our relationship with you. We love you. We thank you for all that you have done in our life. Challenge us to create those rhythms, create those spiritual rhythms in our life so that our relationship with you can grow. We pause right now and thank you for Jesus. We love you. We give you all the honor and glory. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'm going to invite you to stand like we do each and every week. We're going to sing one more song. If you have a decision you like, need to make, invite you to come down at this time.